2: Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, October 19th. I'm your host, Terry Arango, with my guest, Dr. Lisa Hanifin. Dr. Hanifin is a chiropractor practicing the Defeat Autism Now approach of biomedical intervention for autism. Our topic today is Gastrointestinal Immune Inflammatory and Metabolic Issues as a Cause of Autism and the Journey to Recovery, and we will hear about the journey of Dr. Hanifin's son, Adam. Welcome, Dr. Hannafin. Hi, Terry. Dr. Hannafin, what do you think autism is?
3: Um, I think it's an illness, a disease process in the body that masquerades as a psychiatric condition, and the three primary components are chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, and toxicity.
2: All right, and in what ways do you feel that you, as a chiropractor, are uniquely qualified to address issues underpinning an autism diagnosis?
3: Well, um, most people don't know that chiropractors have very similar educational background to medical doctors, so we are well versed in nutrition and biochemistry and physiology. Additionally, what we can offer that they are unable to offer are adjustments to the nervous system that um, helps people on the spectrum who are often in sensory overload, resulting in heightened sympathetic nervous system function, um, leaving them constantly in a state of fight or flight, which um, negatively impacts their digestive system, their internal chemistry, um, things like that.
2: Your son, Adam, how old was he when he was diagnosed with autism? Um,
3: We received his diagnosis just a few weeks before his third birthday.
2: And had you taken any kinds of precautions during your pregnancy? And if so, what were they?
3: Um, Yes, I did. You know, as a chiropractor and a vitalist, um, we live like a very natural lifestyle. We stay away from meds. So I took what I thought were just very basic, sensible precautions for a healthy baby. I limited the number and length of ultrasounds. Um, There's been some research that shows that uh, repeated ultrasounds do affect neurologic development in uh, embryos. I ate organic food. I got adjusted regularly by my chiropractor. Um, I postponed dental work, and I got a mercury-free Rogam shot. Um, But I do have to admit that I ate a lot of sushi while I was pregnant, as I wasn't concerned about parasites, but I wasn't thinking about the mercury content.
2: You mentioned the word vitalist, and some of our listeners may not know what a vitalist is.
3: Um, I think a vitalist could best be described as someone who um, trusts in the innate power of the body to heal itself. We believe that we are... um, formed complete with a pharmacy in our brain and the ability to uh, maintain homeostasis, basically to, to function on our own. So if you cut yourself, you don't need a lesson on how to heal a wound. If a bone breaks, you don't need a lesson on how to mend it. When you eat a meal, your body already knows which chemicals to produce and how much of them so that you can digest and appropriately assimilate your nutrients. All right. Very well
2: put. My friend uh, Betsy Hicks always says, the body wants to heal itself. So tell us about Adam's early history.
3: Oh, um, he was independent, charming, brilliant. He was reading at two years old, and he would occupy himself for long periods of time. Um, I saw those all as really positive things. The, the only maybe early symptom that I didn't realize was that he didn't sleep through the night and for the first like eight and a half months of life he was up every two hours every two hours and he vomited often I remember my husband saying to me oh don't worry honey I'm sure he'll sleep through the night another week you know he's only a few weeks old but it was eight and a half months and with the vomiting he wasn't just like spitting up it was projectile vomit like across the room vomiting Um, But we didn't give him any dairy because my husband had an anaphylactic reaction as an infant to dairy, so we knew we shouldn't give him formula with dairy, and I was nursing, but I was supplementing. So we supplemented with goat's milk and soy formula.
2: Yeah, I remember when my son was an infant, um, he had projectile vomiting, and my ex-husband held him at arm's length and, you know, turned around like twirled but more slowly, twirled around with him, and it was vomit like an Elmo lawn squirter all on the living room carpet, and I thought, you know, why not just take the shirt and cup it under, um, you know, the baby's mouth so that you um, capture this, uh, this projectile vomiting instead of it being like uh, an Elmo lawn squirter in, on a living room rug. So I can relate to the projectile vomiting.
3: Yeah, we never had a sense that it was coming. He would be fine, he would open his mouth, and out it would come. It wasn't like he was crying first or appeared to be uncomfortable. It would just come out. How was the speech? You know, he wasn't um, speaking when he was little, but we have um, several very late speakers in my family, um, you know, cousins, uncles, who didn't speak till they were four. So we really didn't, like, think much of that. Um, he did have two sentences, but um, because he was reading and able to read aloud we weren't concerned that he was mute, we just figured he didn't feel like saying anything to us yet.
2: Yeah. Um how did his gastrointestinal symptoms evolve? Was that was that projectile vomiting anything to do with reflux or what else was going on?
3: You know, nobody diagnosed it as reflux um because it wasn't I guess the frequency wouldn't uh wouldn't relate to reflux. Um you know, I, I don't think that it was really, like, apparent that he was having problems until he started having diarrhea, and that was more like 15 to 18 months. He never complained of pain or postured or anything. Um, he just had really bad diarrhea several times a day. I took him to the doctor. They said, oh, toddlers have diarrhea. Don't worry about it. But um, maybe I wasn't able to convey to them the, the extremeness of it. It would come. they want to... I've set anyone's stomach early in the morning, but it would come like out the top of his pants, go down his legs, into his shoes, and this was Uh several times a day. Uh Um, When I look back, I realize that that started a few months after we introduced dairy. So he was, you know, getting close to two, and we would started giving him like yogurts and cheeses. But the the goat's milk vomiting, I think, um, was the early warning sign that the GI system was deteriorating, and I just didn't see it.
2: So that was the the GI system, and we know that the GI system is intimately connected with uh, neurodevelopment. When did you realize that there was a developmental problem?
3: Mm. Um, After he'd been in preschool for a couple of months. I never uh, put Adam in any kind of a daycare program, so it was just he and I, and I brought him with me to work, so I didn't didn't see him with, with typical peers. So when we first went to preschool, um, he was unruly, I guess. Um, And they kept saying, oh, it'll get better. Kids, you know, have a hard time adapting if they've never been in daycare. And then the longer he was there, it was like the worse he was getting. So ultimately, they asked me to come and supervise him because they couldn't handle him, that he would wander out of the room, that he would injure teachers and aides when they were trying to change him, that if a child was in his seat, he would just walk up to them and pull them by their shirt and toss them across the room. So we got the lecture from them about our poor parenting skills and, you know, no suggestion at all about any evaluation. So we, we didn't know what was going on. So fast forward to a different summer camp uh, for preschool. And after one day, the, the director there, who was a, a tremendous blessing to us, came to me and told me she noticed some unusual behaviors. And would I mind if someone came and looked at Adam <clears throat> informally? So his birthday is in September, so this is now, you know, a few months before his birthday. And a woman came in, looked at him for about 45 seconds and said, has anyone ever said the word autism to you? And I thought, no, <laughs> autism? <laughs> How can my kid have autism? I, you know, he didn't have shots. I didn't have dental work. <clears throat> I had thimerosal-free Rogam. I just I couldn't figure it out. So that, that's kind of when we realized first that there was a problem.
2: And when did you learn about the connection between gastrointestinal condition and autistic symptoms?
3: Uh, <clears throat> um, a few weeks. When did I learn or what did I learn?
2: I'm sorry, what did you learn about the connection between gastrointestinal condition and autistic
3: symptoms? Um, m- many kids on the spectrum have food sensitivities. So those food sensitivities kind of lead to chronic inflammatory conditions in their gut then the chronic inflammation in turn leads to what we call dysbiosis or imbalance of normal flora in the gut and malnutrition. The abnormal flora is usually like opportunistic bacteria, which overgrow and produce toxins. So the immune system starts to kick into gear because you have abnormal flora, um, you know, abnormal chemicals in the form of toxins and, um, nutrients, which normally would stay in the gut and not enter the bloodstream, now passing through inflamed tissue into the bloodstream, and the immune system is recognizing that as a foreign invader, so it sort of kicks into hyperdrive as well. Also, because a lot of our lymph tissue is in our gut, the chronic inflammation also causes a problem with the immune system just from the physical location. So um, over time, between that dysbiosis and the hypervigilant immune system, the brain begins to starve. Um, For my son, his spiral down was slow and insidious. He didn't have any overnight event um, where he was fine, and then he wasn't fine, as we typically see in children maybe that have had vaccine injuries or exposure to tremendous amounts of lead or things like that.
2: You mentioned between the dysbiosis and a hypervigilant immune system, my son's brain, began to essentially starve, but what do you mean by that?
3: Um, When we're not absorbing, for example, amino acids from the proteins that we eat, we're unable to produce neurotransmitters that are required for normal brain function. Also, many of the the vitamins that we uh, derive from our foods are important for um, reactions in order to convert um, one product into another. So, for example, an amino acid into a neurotransmitter.
2: Okay. Very good. Well, we're going to take a break, and we will turn to the Voice America Health & Wellness channel with Dr. Lisa Hannifin. Thank you to our sponsor, EnzMedica. We'll be right back.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: Come.
2: Dr. Lisa Hannifin and Dr. Hanifin, we've talked about uh, what happened to Adam in so far as what happened to cause an autism diagnosis, and let's now talk about your bringing Adam back. Why did you pursue biomedical intervention? What kind of doctor did you seek out, and what did you do?
3: Oh, okay. Um, you know, recovering Adam really involved many, many different interventions. I like to refer to them as the magic buffet. Cause it's pretty rare to ever find a magic bullet for our kids and to be honest I am a keeper of papers so um, once I heard autism I remembered that I had an issue of mothering magazine um, entirely devoted to autism which I dug out and I read cover to cover and one of the interventions discussed was biomedical <clears throat> as a chiropractor the whole biochemistry physiology approach was one that I understood so I sought out a Dan doctor Um, One of my very, very, very close friends um, happens to know Dr. Jacqueline McCandless, the author of Children with Starving Brains, and she was able to connect us, and Dr. McCandless became Adam's Dan doctor, even though she's essentially retired and doesn't take on new patients. She's my mentor, so when I have questions and I don't know what to do with patients, I always uh, talk with her about that. So... um, What we do with biomedical is we examine blood, stool, and urine and assess where the child's system is broken and or not functioning properly. We eliminate inflammatory triggers from the diet and supplement in vitamins and minerals to balance um, Adam's biochemistry and drive his dysfunctional chemical pathways to work. Um, Adam also was on some antiviral medication, and some children need to be on, you know, prescription antifungals, um, you know, mild chelators, heavy chelators. Adam's challenge was never um, metal toxicity, so we did not have to go the route of any heavy-duty chelation.
2: All right. And, and what did this result in? Um, How did this help him? How long did it take?
3: Oh, okay. Um, it took about two years to, to heal his gut to the point where we could potty train him. And it's taken about three years to heal his immune system such that his labs are coming back clear. Um, He may have some mitochondrial dysfunction or um, some enzymatic deficiencies that will require him to take some supplements for the rest of his life, Um, but all of these therapies have really helped him to catch up on what he missed out on learning when his brain wasn't functioning properly.
2: Okay, I want to make an observation here. Something that's kind of piqued my interest. You mentioned in Adam's prenatal history that you ate sushi, yet he didn't show up with heavy metal toxicity. That's right. Subsequently, I find that really interesting. Um, I remember Dr. Boyd Haley explaining that at least if you're ingesting. Mercury via fish, the the, me, the mercury binds with the cysteine. It, so it's binding with protein in the fish um, before you ingest, before the person is ingesting it. So I'm finding it really interesting that we know vaccinated children with heavy metal toxicity, yet even though you ate sushi while you were pregnant, um, Adam didn't come back with heavy metal toxicity. It's,
3: And I have several amalgam fillings. I have like eight fillings in my mouth that I've had since I was a teenager. So I'm also releasing mercury every time I chew Mm -hmm. or talk. Um, My son's detoxification pathways appear to be working. Um, We don't know how he would have been um, had he been inoculated on top of all of that. That may Mm -hmm. have been enough to push him over the edge, but the prenatal exposure wasn't enough enough to make him metal toxic.
2: Right. And I would argue, too, that, uh, you know, many of my friends say, hey, our moms were, in our you know, our generation, the generation before us, our moms were drinking martinis with amalgams in their mouth, and we didn't have autism. Right. So something, you know, pushed this generation over the edge into an epidemic. I wanted to ask you about your statement um about balancing biochemistry and driving dysfunctional chemical pathways to work. What does that mean?
3: Sure. Um, Let's say a chemical reaction has several steps, like to convert an amino acid to a neurotransmitter. Um, Just for simplicity, let's say we have to go from A to B to C to D, and D is our final product. So if we look at byproducts of chemical metabolism, it allows us to see if there's An abundance of a transitional chemical let's say b followed by a lowered value for c and d so we can say wow this reaction is stopping at b why is it stopping are we missing the the stuff needed to take it from b to c so can we supplement in enzymes and nutrients or are we um, defective in our ability to produce from b to c and just supplement in that third product c and let the chemical reaction sort of continue on its merry way um, without any further intervention. Does that make Uh, sense?
2: Is this kind of like biomarker-directed treatment where you you do tests and you see um, where reactions are held up, you're seeing what the um, byproducts of certain reactions that should be there are or are not
3: there? Exactly.
2: Okay. And I know that part of... Adam's uh, recovery process included things like mild hyperbaric oxygen therapy and retained primitive reflex clearing, but not a lot of people talk about retained primitive reflexes, and what are you talking about when you say
3: that? Uh, okay, um, again, that's very much like a chiropractic uh, uh, way to assist our children. However, it's not exclusively chiropractic. It can be um, performed by acupuncturists, medical doctors, anyone who's interested in, in learning that. Um let me see how I can explain that to you in a nutshell. Um, it involves a combination of cranial work, acupuncture meridians, and homeopathy to diagnose um, which uh, reflexes are, are present or, or showing, and then to clear them. And these are reflexes that we normally find in babies. Um, and they're supposed to be integrated into our brainstem by about one year old. This work was developed or refined by Dr. Keith Keene in Australia and is currently taught by an amazing chiropractor in Los Angeles named Dr. Jim Blumenthal. Um, and that's where I learned it. Basically, in the womb in the first year of life, our cortical brain is not fully developed, so we depend on our automatic or instinctual reflexes that are controlled by our brainstem. We call them primitive because the brainstem is the most primitive part of our brain. It's uh, sometimes called the reptilian brain. It's involved with balance, um, very, like, non-thoughtful sorts of functions. Um, And we need those reflexes for survival um, in our first few months. But they should be integrated, you know, by 12 months. So as our higher brain uh, centers begin to mature and we begin to have conscious control of activity, um, the continued display of those reflexes can interfere with normal brain development. It's sort of like if you had um, a computer that was running DOS while you're trying to run Windows, right? DOS is a really primitive program, and it might have you know, been important for early programming, but if that's still up and running, it's going to totally mess up your Windows system. Does that make sense?
2: It does. Like I, what you're talking about reminds me of what another guest on this program recently was talking about, and that was Sergeant Goodchild from Active Healing, and he indicated that function signifies structure. So it sounds like Dr. Hannifin, what you're looking at is reflexes or functions to signify where the brain is at, and then you can remediate the deficits.
3: Right. So what we do. Um... Let me see how I can explain this. Um, we, we make structural corrections that assist in the integration of the, of the reflexes. So they're either like cranial sacral adjustments, and they involve like gentle pressure on the sutures of the skull. It's like the points where the, the skull bones come together in specific phases of breathing or adjusting the, the tailbone, which we call the sacrum, um, to free the cerebrospinal fluid drive system that in itself normalizes central nervous system function. Um, some of the uh, indicators of, um, of retained reflexes can be problems with gross and fine motor control, vision, hormonal problems, social cueing, anxiety, uh, bedwetting, motion sickness, postural weakness. A lot of the things that we see in our children who are... Um, who don't have these reflexes well-integrated. For example, my son used to be so sound-sensitive that he couldn't even flush the toilet. And after doing this work with him, he says, don't worry, Mom, I can handle it, and it doesn't bother him at all anymore.
2: Okay, that's great. And I understand that you had another baby shortly after Adam was diagnosed with autism, and let's talk about him when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Lisa Hannafin. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back.
4: Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: Calm.
6: Mark your calendar and set an alarm so you do not miss the highly acclaimed talk show, Holistic Living with Tina Marie and Todd Allen. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, and 10 a.m. Pacific for inspirational, oftentimes edgy discussions on all that life brings our way. With celebrity guests, world-famous authors, and everyday people dedicated to sharing positive, uplifting messages, Tina Marie and Todd Allen bring you the very best in talk radio discussions, guaranteed to make you smile.
2: back with Dr. Lisa Hannafin. And Dr. Hannafin, you had another baby shortly after Adam was diagnosed with autism. How did you prevent autism in your youngest son? And what would you recommend for mothers to be?
3: Yeah, I was still very much um, just learning when Sammy was born um, about the triggers for Adam. Um, But basically, I made sure to stay away from gluten and dairy while breastfeeding because I didn't want him to get any of that into his system since those were the major triggers for Adam. And I didn't allow him to have it until he was almost two years old. Um, I wanted to mention for babies, it's not particularly helpful to test them for food allergies because their systems haven't really been exposed to dietary irritants long enough to provide accurate results. Any other advice in so far as babies and diet or preventative measures? Oh, sure. Um, Let's see, as far as diet goes, um, I know the uh, general um, consensus is that you start introducing grains first. I think that's like the worst possible thing you can do. Um, To begin with, we don't even introduce solids until at least six months old because their little digestive tracts aren't ready for that. And I like to start with the orange vegetables like sweet potatoes, carrots, uh, butternut squash, and then allow four to five days between introducing new items to make sure that they're able to To handle that, we move on to green veggies and proteins, and grains—the very, very last thing. Um, That schedule has been shown to minimize the development of food allergies in children. And if you're making your own baby food, remember that your baby needs to be eating organic too. And if you already have a child on the spectrum, do not give your younger sibling gluten-containing grains, dairy, or soy. Soy is just a, a a gut irritant. It's not that that many people are truly allergic to it but it's, it's very uh, irritating for the gut.
2: Yeah, I thought I would do myself uh, a favor at some point in recent years, and uh, I started drinking uh, soy milk, like, and uh, I had had an insult from antibiotics, and then when I drank the soy milk, that just really pushed me over the edge. So what are some other preventative measures that you would take?
3: Um, well, first off, you don't want to have um, fillings in your mouth when you're uh, growing a new baby. So, if you have dental amalgams, um, you need to have them removed by a qualified biological dentist. That way, they make sure to capture all the vapor as they're pulling the fillings out. And then afterward, you should chelate because you've been releasing mercury vapor into your system, like you know, with every bite of food that you've chewed. Um, I also think you should avoid using prescription, including antibiotics, uh, prescription drugs, and over-the-counter meds both before and during pregnancy unless you need them to, to stay alive. Um, there's no pharmaceutical drug on the market that's been proven safe for pregnancy, and antidepressants are especially dangerous to take, according to a study recently published in the Archives of Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine. I also think you need to do a liver cleanse because your liver is your detoxifying organ and if it's not doing its job, all the excess toxins are going to be shunted to the the embryo or developing fetus. I have a long list here. I hope you all out there have a pen or pencil writing this down. Um, I think eating organically sort of goes without saying. And you want to make sure you're using eco-friendly, non-toxic cleaners in your home, and not forget about your personal care products like body lotion, face cream, toothpaste, shampoo, and dry cleaning. That's a big one, especially for you know working parents. There's a chemical called perchloroethylene that's used by most, most dry cleaners, and it's a known carcinogen. So you can find a green cleaner. They're kind of more expensive, but I think in the long run, they're definitely worth it. Um, I read a report from the CDC uh, published in 2006 that Americans, on average, tested positively for 116 out of 148 synthetic compounds. Those include things like dioxins, polycyclic hydrocarbons, and organochlorine pesticides. These are also found in human milk, placental tissue, and umbilical cord blood. So our babies are being exposed even before they're born. Uh, So you really need to, to minimize your exposure to chemicals. Organic mattresses, cotton clothes... Very important because typically those things are treated with flame retardants. Those have high level of antimony in them. When my son's um, blood work first came back, he had exceptionally high levels of antimony and um, flame retardant in his bloodstream. It was uh, was really shocking.
2: Um, yeah. You mentioned uh, dry cleaners and such, and I, if I'm recalling correctly, I think that one of our colleagues, uh, Susan Owens, who Uh, we used to hear from on the low-oxalate diet, had a dry cleaners in her family, and then Mary Coyle, who's a hemotoxicologist in New York, had uh, worked in a a pesticide firm. So definitely things to to watch out for. And I've often wondered about uh, the antimony in the baby's bedding. Uh, It can't be good to have your face that close to a mattress treated with it.
3: Mm Mm-mm, not at all. Not you mentioned
2: you mentioned R, RH being RH negative, and can you explain more about that and then the different questions that are involved with samarisol-containing uh, or samarisol-free rogam shots?
3: Sure. Um, my blood type is B negative. I think mean, that's really funny because I'm a B positive person, but um, <laughs> so, any mom that has a negative blood type is called RH negative. So if you've previously had a baby either had a natural or induced abortion, or an amniocentesis, your doctor is going to likely recommend that you get this Rogam shot. Um, The shot is designed to prevent moms from becoming sensitized to babies' RH-positive blood. Now, if dad's RH-negative and you're RH-negative, it shouldn't be an issue, but most doctors say, well, you can't be sure who the father is, so you've got to have the shot anyway, which I think is absolutely ludicrous to to say to like a married couple, but yeah, really? they really like push that shot. So what happens is once the mom becomes sensitized to the Rh factor, her immune system can start destroying the red blood cells of the baby. So these uh, rogam shots typically contain thimerosal, which is a mercury-based preservative commonly linked with vaccines. And rogam is a type of vaccine, um, even though it's not given to prevent a communicable disease. Um, The PDR that's called Physician's Desk Reference cautions that even rogam during pregnancy can have adverse effects on the fetus because of its high mercury content. Yikes. Um, I found that when you look at the um, hair samples of unvaccinated children born from mothers injected with rogam, they do show mercury. So if you have to have a rogam shot, demand that you get a mercury-free preparation. The doctor may tell you that it's not available, but that's not true. It is available through Bayer Pharmaceuticals under the name of Hyper-Rho. Also, make sure that you look at your Rogam shot insert because all of the ingredients are listed. So they may, you know, try to tell you that oh this is whatever, but you always want to look for yourself. Um, an interesting thing is that the FDA banned Thimerosal from Rogam in 2001. Not that there still isn't a whole bunch of it on the shelves, um, but the next year they started pushing flu shots on women's and babies women and babies. Um, I think the flu shot has the highest levels of thimerosal of any vaccine, and in my opinion, under no circumstances should a pregnant woman ever, ever take a flu shot.
2: Isn't, isn't it ridiculous? I mean, they came, the, uh, the vaccine apologists and talking heads on mainstream media news keep trying to tell us that mercury is out of the kids' shots. Yeah, they did come up with these flu shots, and put all of this mercury back in uh, and talk about, you know, flu shots for the, the uh, recommended childhood immunization schedule, and it just really confuses issues.
3: You know, I had the flu both times while I was pregnant. It's the only times that I've had the flu in, like, the last 20 years, both times while I was pregnant. Um, you know, was I miserable? Yes. Did I have a fever? Yes. I got adjusted, I made it through. You know, you drink tea, you have a lot of water, you're sick and you're done. It's not, you know, for a a healthy individual, the flu is not like some horrific killer that's going to wipe out, you know, all of our population. People are are taught to be really frightened of this. You know, every time we get sick and we recover from an illness, our immune system is stronger. And any time we ever get re-exposed to that same bug, we will never get sick from it again because our system recognizes it. When you take a shot, your system responds to the shot in such a way that if you get that particular concoction, you won't get sick, but if you get something similar, your system doesn't know what to do with it. When you have natural immunity from getting sick, your system not only recognizes the invader that it had last time, but anybody else that even looks the same.
2: Yeah, and it, there's been study that shows that it's not even efficacious for infants and uh, elderly people, and they don't know which bug's going to come out next time.
3: That's true. It's just a guess.
2: Yep. Well, I think this is a good time to go to break. So we'll be right back with Dr. Lisa Hannafin, and thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right
4: back. more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: ways that you can prevent autism. You can stave off an autism diagnosis in your firstborn child or in the sibling of a child who's already been diagnosed with autism. Let's talk about some more preventative measures. I know that uh, many people feel that water is
3: pretty important. Oh, it's incredibly important. It's such a huge percentage of our body. Um, I think it's important to drink good filtered water, um, there are a lot of mm, microscopic amounts of uh, pharmaceutical drugs in our uh, city tap water there are chlorines, there's all kinds of things that we really shouldn't be having in our body especially when pregnant Um, if you buy filtered water from the store um, the problem with that is that plastic bottles release a chemical called phthalates and sometimes antimony Even if the plastic doesn't get heated or frozen, it can be released into the water. So I recommend using a a stainless steel bottle or canteen for your filtered water from your house. It's a lot safer and it's eco-friendly because we're not repolluting the environment with more plastics.
2: And how do you clean? You know, just uh, recently someone told me that they tested uh, Purell hand sanitizer and they tested Comet and they found mercury in them.
3: I am not aware of either of those things.
2: Well, um, how do you? Clean? I don't
3: use Comet. Um, I do use a hand sanitizer when I'm working with patients, from patient to patient, um, just because, you know, I don't want to put bugs from person A on person B. Not that they would necessarily get sick from it, but it's just, you know, important to, to wash your hands. Um, I like to use vinegar. <laughs> I use a lot of vinegar. Yep. Uh, vinegar and water, baking soda, um, very, just like normal, natural kinds of products. We don't need all of these um, things that smell good that uh, bleach everything out. It's it's just um, it's not good for us.
2: Yeah, I've often asked the question: Why do pills need to be pretty? Um, you get your <sighs> someone uh, had an anti seizure medication, and there's also an antiviral medication that is uh, prescribed for kids, and these were just coated in vibrant or deep blue. It's like you're, you're trying to help things. Why are you putting dyes on these things that contain aluminum?
3: I have a friend um, that used to be a pharmacist, and she said that the reason that they do that is to help them identify one pill from the other because they have to be able to recognize that, you know, X medication is a bright blue oval pill with a, you know, um, like a seam in it versus another medication, which is light blue and round. So it's a part of it is just for identification purposes for the pharmacists, so they don't give you the wrong medicine.
2: Uh, a friend of mine was told that Zithromax was pink to make it pretty. <laughs> I was thinking, why do we need to have pretty pills? You know, that's not the purpose. We're taking it, and grandma's little purple pills look like PEZ that any kid would want to pick up if one were dropped and take it. It looks like a pretty purple PEZ.
3: Sounds true.
2: Something like that. And then the child's blood pressure will drop or something. So that seems pretty dangerous. So um, you referred to getting adjusted uh, while you were pregnant or if you have the flu uh, or, you know, go get adjusted. What are you meaning by that?
3: Okay, um, when you go to a chiropractor, what they uh, do is analyze the balance of your nervous system via the alignment of the bones in your spine. If you can imagine um, like a hose with water running through it, every time you twist or kink the hose, you affect the water's ability to come out the other end. So when we have a bone out of alignment, it will irritate or kink a nerve resulting in decreased nerve function or control to the area of the body supplied by that nerve. And since your brain controls every function in your body, your circulatory system, your immune system, your digestive system, your reproductive system, everything, if you have interference on that communication line between your brain and your body, your brain cannot um, adequately make your body function. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, that does. Yeah, and my son, um, when he was younger, would be pressing his head into furniture, and I started taking him to uh, a trained chiropractor for craniosacral therapy, and that did seem to make him feel better. And um, and now we've been going for cranial osteopathy with an osteopath, and that has also seemed to be very helpful. They're different modalities.
3: Yes, they are. They
2: both seem to be helpful.
3: Yes, the, the, I don't want to say, you know, there's so many different chiropractic techniques, it's hard to compare, like, chiropractic in general to osteopathy, um, especially mm. cranial osteopathy work. But the, the main difference between the two, as I understand it, is the chiropractic techniques aim to restore uh, nervous system flow. The osteopathic techniques aim to restore circulatory flow. Mm-hmm.
2: and they, kind of they both seem it. to have been helpful and I I just wanted to put them out on everybody's radar.
3: Oh, absolutely.
2: Um, yeah. And last but not least, uh I know that uh you must be a proponent of breastfeeding.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I have um you know spoken with moms that are not interested in even trying and explain to them the importance of immune system function for their baby. You know, nursing may seem hard in the beginning until you get the hang of it, but it's a lot easier than making bottles all the time, and it's a lot easier than having a kid that's sick because they're not getting antibodies from their mom. Um, When you have problems, I had some challenges in the beginning uh, with my first son. There are lactation consultants who can help you, or La Leche League people. Um, but again, if you have a child with autism, tr- you know, maintain what we call a GFCF, SF diet while you're nursing. So no gluten, no wheat, no barley, no rye, no spelt, no dairy, and no soy.
2: Yeah, I would kind of contend that breastfeeding in the very beginning might not be so challenging. If uh, babies hadn't gotten, sh- well, not in your case, but other babies had- hadn't gotten shot up with mercury on their first day of life from the hepatitis B vaccine, mm-hmm. making them jaundiced and drowsy, they might have been a little bit more perky for breastfeeding. What do you think?
3: Um, that makes perfect sense to me.
2: Well, you've done such a great job with Adam. How's he doing now, and how far has he come?
3: Oh, he is amazing. Um like I said, at three, he was only able to communicate two 2 word sentences. So his two sentences were, go outside and watch a movie. Um, everything else that he wanted or needed, he communicated via hand gestures, giggling, crying, biting, screaming, or tantrums. Um, he just turned six last month, and now he can tell you about the solar system, about space flight, about his friends in school, about bugs food preferences, favorite toys, and how annoying his little brother is. Um, He wants to be an astronaut when he grows up, which is a very, like, typical boy desire. Uh But I think he really does want to be an astronaut. He's um, so interested in space. He reads and comprehends several years above grade level, and he's teaching himself higher math, um, which is really quite remarkable to watch. Um, He constantly amazes us with profound things that he says. Um, recently he told me that he wanted us to move to Northern California, and I explained to him why that wasn't an option for us, and I asked him, why do you want to move there? And he said, because I want my children to enjoy the monarch butterflies that winter there. That was so profound for a five-year-old to, like, be thinking, like, at that level, you know? Really? Um, you know, I describe him to people as mostly recovered. He has some bugs to work out, but for the most part, he's indistinguishable from his peers. And for people who don't like, aren't in the know for autism, for what you know to look for the little simple signs, most people have no idea that that there's anything wrong with him at all anymore. Where when we started this journey, it was you know it was really pretty apparent that that he wasn't normal.
2: And how's your youngest son, Sammy, doing?
3: <laughs> Um, sammy is amazing he is mischievous and sweet and resourceful and he has developed some effective strategies to get his brother's attention and engage him in play Um, he is in the non-stop questioning phase so everything is what's that what is it for where did you get it do i get one does daddy have one Um, he is completely completely typical Um, it's wonderful and heartbreaking at the same time because Sam's uh, typicalness really has, like, heightened my awareness of what was likely going on in Adam's head at the same age when he was unable to communicate.
2: Oh, well, you've done a wonderful job, and I want to thank you for sharing all this helpful and hopeful information with us, Dr. Hannafin. Where can people learn more information? Do you have a website?
3: Thank you so much for having me also. Yes, I do have a website. It's um, www.autismrecoverycenter.com.
2: And you practice in California?
3: Yes, I do. I'm in the the Los Angeles area, um, the San Fernando Valley, Um, and you can reach me by email as well if you're not local.
2: All right. Well, to our listeners, my guests next week are the wonderful staff members of the Homeopathy Center of Houston Don't forget to visit the National Autism Association's website at www.nationalautism.org to learn about the National Autism Conference next month in beautiful, sunny Tampa, St. Pete, Florida. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, manufacturers of fine digestive enzymes to complement your therapeutic diet. If you have any questions about this program, please email me at at tarangaatautism1.org. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.